You are listening to the Five Acre Parables Podcast. All right, welcome to episode two of Five Acre Parables Podcast. I am joined today, of course, by my co-host, Andrew House. So a couple weekends ago, we both went on our first field trip together for the podcast to the Ozarks Homesteading Expo. I went for two days and Andrew went for one day with me. And I thought overall it was very good and very encouraging. Tonight we were just going to talk about some stuff that we saw there. Uh, My first one is going to be a complaint. It's not a huge complaint, but it is a small complaint. So it's the Ozarks Homesteading Expo, right? And I think so. Somebody rolls up with a 24 foot long chicken tractor. Do they not know that we're in the Ozarks? Yep. That there's not (laughs) things going to roll down the hill in 10 seconds flat. Yeah. I, did you ever see a price tag on that thing? I did not. I'm, I don't, I didn't really want to look at a price tag for being honest. Yeah, it probably would have been poor for my health to see how much they actually wanted for for those things. They look fantastic. Oh, yeah. Maybe for my homestead here in Kansas, you know, I could get like six of them and just run them in circles around the pasture every day. But I don't know that I'd ever make my money back doing that. No, no probably not. <laughs> the only guy I know of that ran extremely expensive chicken tractors did it for a living and he had like always had over a thousand birds and his tractors cost like a thousand dollars each and they were set up where he would push them with a side-by-side every single day he would just run into them and push them in granny gear and then back up and push the next one and he had a whole line staggered going through a pasture doing that up in new jersey wow was there a big dent in the back of them where he kept hitting them? No, they were not built out of aluminum. They were built out of steel. Um, wow. They were extremely heavy. Like, you can't move them without equipment. No. Good if their side-by-side went down, like, they were stuck wherever they were at. They couldn't, like, pull on a rope and pull them. All right, what else, Andrew? What did you like, dislike? What did you learn? Anything exciting? All right, so this isn't anything necessarily that was at the expo per se, but I have said for a very long time that if America quit wasting so much yard space and actually messed with growing some of their own food, that it would be extremely productive for us as a society. And there was a boatload of people there. I don't know what the actual headcount was, but it was really nice to see like probably a thousand people. I'm guessing there was a thousand people there um, Really, that were, that were very eager to grow their own food, raise their own animals, have a garden and just have the same mindset that we've, we have had for a while. And it was encouraging to be around that many people that were like-minded as far as trying to, to live the lifestyle that we're living. Yeah, it was really impressive because I've been to this. This will be the third time I went to this. I was trying to get the full story, but they had it in 2019. 
in Neosho, Missouri. And huh. something about that location wasn't good for them. They couldn't do everything they wanted or something. Uh, and then 2020, they couldn't have it because COVID and government regulations and all that hooey. And then I think they had one in 2021 and then 22 and 23. But I went to the one in 19 and then the one last year. And between last year and this year, it definitely doubled in size. Yeah. Yeah, homesteading seems to be becoming much more popular. And so I think that was definitely visible in like that large of a crowd in this area. Now, I would also argue, and we were going to get to this at some point in time, that would be partially thanks to or the fault of the fact that they were able to get Joel Salatin to come this year. Yeah, for sure. For those of you who may not know, Joel Salatin's kind of the granddaddy of all of this shenanigans, uh, which he's a really good guy, but it's very interesting. He's got a very interesting perspective on a lot of things, but he's definitely one of the more celebrity homesteaders, and I would be willing to bet a significant amount of people came, were like, you know, on the fence about whether or not they could make it, and then they saw that he was coming and decided to go. When the day me and you were there together, he was doing the the lesson on chicken butchering. And like I guarantee you, like at least half the people in there have butchered chickens enough they know how to butcher a chicken. They were there to see him, not to see how to butcher a chicken. I would disagree with that, actually. You think you so? Yeah, I really do. Wowzers. People need to pluck some more feathers. I don't even think half of them had. Yeah. No, there was a lot of people. Uh, well, in last year, last year and this year, they had Brandon, the farmstead meatsmith there, and he was doing classes on pig butchering. Yeah. And people were there. Pig butchering is different because they're more expensive and harder to raise. We talked about that last time, so we won't get into all that. But we were all there taking notes because nobody had ever done it before. And that was kind of his thing he's gotten into is not just i'm gonna butcher pigs for people it is i'm gonna teach people how to butcher pigs i'm gonna offer classes on how to do this stuff and a lot of people have actually started offering classes where it's like you know for 30 dollars, you can come and learn how to butcher a chicken and take your own chicken home or something like that and those are really popular right now because a lot of people want to do it but they don't have the background that you do specific he i think he asked at some point how many people had butchered a chicken and i don't remember how many people raised their hands because i think i was distracted looking at trees (laughs) in the background i was looking at the trees while he was talking about yes uh it was really funny you could tell a lot of the people there the vendors and stuff were used to getting dumb questions from people And then you would roll up and ask like a hyper specific question in a very not rude way at all, but you would roll up and ask this hyper specific question and they'd be like, Oh, Hey, somebody that actually knows what they're talking about. This isn't what I've been dealing with all day. Yeah. I'm a weirdo that wonders weird questions. Yeah. Well, that's why we have you on here. That's why we like you. 
but before I forget, I need to tell tell everybody, like all three people that are listening to this, what my favorite part of the day was. And I think I told you about this, but I don't, I don't remember telling you that it was my favorite part of the day. So they had an Ozarks gardening, like how to have a, a better garden in the Ozarks yes. lesson. And they had like one of the farm managers for Baker Creek Seeds there. And so the tent was packed. So like me and like, oh man, I don't know, 50 people were like sitting on bleachers outside of the tent where we could still hear and see inside the tent. Yeah. And it started raining good enough that it ran everybody undercover somewhere. And so I went, I don't know how far up into the vendors and ended up in a a tent where there was somebody selling coffee and the Living Traditions couple was in there. I don't remember their names, but they're super popular and they live over in Ava um, on the other side of mom and dad. And so there was like a whole bunch of people clustered around them. And there was a guy there in like a Western button up shirt with a cool mustache, an older guy. And I talked to him for like 45 minutes and he has like been there, done it, raised thousands of meat chickens, raised you know, thousands of meat turkeys ran sheep and cows and everything else under the sun for a long time, had some like fantastic history of coming here and doing that when he moved here from Colorado and just sitting around talking to that old guy was my favorite part of the whole day. It was just, it was really fun. And, and it was also beneficial to be able to ask him questions and bounce ideas off of him. For sure. Uh, the connections that were made there is kind of one of the best parts. And I wish I was more social, but I did uh, happen to run into, I've been a member of the Blacksmith Association of Missouri, the acronym of BAM, which is pretty appropriate. Uh, been a member of theirs for about five years, and I've been taking classes every year with them for the past three or four. And I ran into two different groups of people that I had taken classes with and talked to them for a minute and kind of reconnected with them. And that was cool to see the overlap there. It wasn't just me. It was other people too. Yeah. It's cool how there's a lot of overlap in, in between groups like that too. People that have over sure. overlapping interests. Was there anything you learned you didn't know previously? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I did learn something. Premier one had a, uh, a booth set up there to show off their solar fence chargers and their netting and stuff. They sell fencing for the people who don't know. And uh, I think whenever we split up to go to the different sessions, I stopped by there and talked to the premier one dude and asked him how to take care of my new charger. I have, it's not new. It's several months old now, but I want to bring it in in the winter instead of leaving it out all winter because I don't yeah. need to keep deer out of my garden when the garden is dead. And so he gave me a bunch of good tips on how to make sure I don't damage my battery whenever I store it. That's good. Well, I learned a lot of things. I was introduced to quite a few different companies we weren't familiar with. Uh, I should have grabbed the pamphlet for the grain mill people, the grain mill people up in Montana. Those that was an awesome little piece of machinery that they had there. It was really cool that, that they had one set up where somebody could crank on the mill and actually make flour. Like I'm not in the market for a grain mill cause I'm not set up to grow grain, 
here. Yeah. Probably won't be for a very long time. But that mill made me want to buy one. Like, I don't need it, but I wanted to buy one after seeing it and touching it and seeing flour coming from the other side. It was an American-made company. Uh, they make them all in America and have a lifetime guarantee, and it looked awesome. Uh, and then they introduced me to a company just a few tables down from them because I also have no plans of getting in grain because that would take up my entire farm to make one loaf of bread. Really. Yeah. Um, but I was introduced to a company that ships grains out of Oregon and they have a really unique way of doing it. So there's some, uh, in our Walmart mentality that we're kind of in as Americans, we've forgotten other ways to get food, but there's still a lot of other companies trying different ways other than we're going to ship it to a supermarket and put it on a shelf for you. Yeah. So if that's something you're interested in, I'm just saying this in general, if that's something you're interested in and grinding your own grain, you don't have to grow it. There are people that are willing to ship you 50 pound bags of grain for you to grind yourself. And it is significantly, can be significantly cheaper depending on how you do it. Yeah, I, I would encourage anybody that's feeling really spunky and has a little bit of room to experiment to grow their own grain for like one year, not a big, big patch, but like just a small patch just to see how labor intensive it is to do it by hand. Corn is the easiest grain to handle and process for sure. on a small scale. Yeah. Uh, dent corn, Indian corn. I grow bloody butcher whenever I do grow corn and we like doing parched corn. It's like popcorn kind of, but like there's a reason corn made the world go round whenever the Europeans were coming to America. It's way easier to handle than wheat. It still makes the world go around. I mean, yeah, just been, more uh, for more for animal feed than human consumption at this point. But it's in yeah. a boatload of stuff for people too. Now, just start looking at a, and this is a whole nother topic for another podcast. But just start looking at all of your labels of all of your products and see how many of them have high fructose corn syrup in it. Yeah. Corn still makes the world go round. We went to a few of the same sessions and split up for a couple. Uh, they had a really good, interesting variety of sessions uh, beyond just how to grow a garden. What is a chicken? Although they still had some of those. Uh, but for people who had been there, done that for a few years, they had actually got some uh, some new things in there. This was interesting. There was an understanding pro public versus private law class, which I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that that guy was really thought provoking. And a lot of it was focused on like co-ops and setting up co-ops yes. and how, like why you would have a co-op in this circumstance and have a far like a farmer's market stand in this circumstance. And the the co-op angle was really interesting to me. It's something I haven't studied at all and haven't seen much down where I'm at. But that was that was really interesting. I could have listened to him talk for a while. Yeah, what I found thought was really interesting about him specifically. All right, I'm looking him up so we can say his name instead of just him, him, him. Yeah, the native domain guy, uh, Wyatt Gober. I don't know if I'm saying his last name. So if he ever happens to hear this, sorry if I butcher your last name. But he wasn't actually a homesteader. Like, 
as far as I could tell from what he was saying, he's like, I just want your products. I want to eat healthy. I want to have access to other products that aren't shipped in from China or wherever else that we're shipping in our stuff in. And yeah. so he was basically the coordinator for this farmer's market that then turned into a, a co-op grocery store that then turned into uh, a nonprofit group under all these different corporations or not corporations, these public and private entities. And I don't even want to try to explain it because I still don't understand it, but he definitely provided a great, easy to understand introduction uh, to like, hey, if this is something that interests you, here's what you need to start looking into. Here's the different options. You have options. I think that's the number one point of the class is just you have options other than playing entirely by government business rules. Yeah, I, I think you're right in that he wasn't a producer. He's more of like an organizer and setting up outlets for people to sell their products at. That seemed to be what the co-op and the farmer's market stand even was for him. But really, that is necessary if people are going to be legitimate about for trying sure. to break out of the like the grocery store mentality where you spend. I mean, don't get me wrong. Farmer's markets are fun and stuff. I think you should be very careful who you buy from at a farmer's market because I've seen people just buying produce and then taking it to a farmer's market and marking it up and then selling the exact same stuff you would get anywhere else just at a higher price. And people feel good because they bought it from a farmer's market. So they think they're buying it from a producer. But people don't do their grocery shopping at a farmer's market. Like nobody is buying their whole family's week's worth of meals at the farmer's market. I mean, there's like a rare person here and there that does it, I'm sure. But by and large, the vast majority of people that go to farmer's markets aren't buying their whole week's groceries there. And his co-op really seemed to be a step in the direction of replacing a grocery store with the closest thing to yeah. buying it straight from the producer because the producers are bringing it there to the co-op. So it's like a direct from producer grocery store almost. Well, this is also, again, we're trying not to get too far off topic this time, but one thing I want to talk about very soon uh, is the idea of self-sufficiency is a, a, a buzzword that people throw around is a term that people want to throw around that I've thrown around for a long time as something I want to be. And I've kind of had the revelation in the last six months uh, that self-sufficiency is completely impossible. Yeah, it is. Uh, you have to, you cannot produce everything yourself. Nobody in the olden days, the glory days, was producing everything by themselves. They were producing half a dozen different things and selling the excess and trading with other people that were making other things. Trading it for what they couldn't grow in the, or yes. produce in their own location, yeah. I always go back to... Uh, pretty much the first introduction we ever had to homesteading was the little house on the prairie books now we did yeah. watch the show eventually but i remember the books way more vividly than i ever did the show and they have a lot of different sections in the book where it was like okay now it is time to go to town and sell x y and z to the general store and while we're there we're going to spend like 
half of our income for the year stocking up on stuff. Yep. I could ramble. I could ramble about this for a long time. Yes. We're going to buy barrels of this. We're going to buy like 25 pounds of lead so that Paul can hunt all winter and yep. make his own bullets and all this other stuff. Because if you're truly going to be self-sufficient, you have to mine your own ores and smelt your own ores. You have to grow every single food category you need. Yep. You know, you have to build your own solar panels from scratch. That was something, uh, one criticism I had, one of the one things that I went to the most was the solar power stuff. Because I'm looking at getting into that unprofessionally and professionally. And so I went to both of his classes, and they were very good. Um, this guy, I've got the schedule pulled up so we can say people's names. There he is. Uh, David McDerris from Missouri Wind and Solar, which they are an awesome company. Highly recommend them. But he kept saying, you know, if you want to be self-sufficient for your power, you need to get X, Y, and Z. Well, that's not true self-sufficiency because we have to buy the solar panels and the wind turbines from them correct, or from whoever else, from whatever company. And, and you're incapable, unless Kansas has way more minerals than I'm aware of, you're incapable of producing your own batteries. Exactly. You know, we don't have lithium. So instead of looking at self-sufficiency as like, I'm going to go off and do everything by myself because you're going to overwork yourself and you're going to, you're going to lose major parts of your life that you still need. We need to be looking at forming these communities where we have options, which is why going back to the original guy that we were talking about, Wyatt Gober, that's why his talk was so important to me was probably the number one thing that I heard there. Yeah. It was just, you know, here's an actual option and here's an actual path toward making that a reality. Yeah, and, and from not the perspective he was talking about, but having a setup like that local to you, which he's not local to either one of us, no. but having a setup like that opens up options for you as a producer. All of a sudden, you don't have to worry about having an outlet or a farmer stand you have to man or going to the, yeah. the farmer's market two days a week to get rid of your product. If you are a producer for that co-op, it gives you a steady outlet for what you're capable of producing. And so having that outlet is like one less headache for a lot of people that like to produce, but aren't necessarily salesmen. Yeah, because pretty much, you know, other than that, your only option was, and we were joking about uh, with my mom talking about making soap. I'm like, that is the most saturated market ever right now. <laughs> is the yeah. soap market. I'm pretty sure there was at least four vendors there specifically for soap. But if you just start looking up homemade soaps in general, I mean, Etsy, half of Etsy is just homemade soap. Yeah. Everybody and their brothers trying to get rid of their, their Nigerian dwarf goat soap. Yep. There you go. And, and the reason why people want to do soap is because they can set up a website and sell it. Yep. Great. But now that market's oversaturated, unless you happen to find some really awesome niche soap corner of the market or something that really sets you apart, which I don't think I'm ever capable of doing that well. 
you know, you need to buy local or you need to sell local or whatever it is. So this, anyway, he presented an option of how to actually make that work. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if they like, if the store pays you when you drop off the items or if they mark down how many of your items they sell and give you that money. At the end. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how they have that set up too. Or if like they if you and I are both producing celery, how they keep, like, do they keep straight whose celery yeah. is sold or, or I wonder how they have that set up. Or, or if you're already producing celery and I'm like, I have some celery here. They're like, no, because a lot of yeah, farmers the, markets will do that. Yeah. The, the details on how the co-op actually functions would have been really interesting to hear yeah. as well. Sure. That would have been a whole nother class though. He had enough trouble covering yeah. what he was covering just in the time that he had, but he could have led the whole, he was a good speaker too. He could have led half the, half the classes and I wouldn't have cared at all. Yeah. He, he was easy to listen to. That helped a lot. We probably ought to talk about the tax guy. That was interesting. Uh, Vincent Finelli from USA prepares. He's connected with Alex Jones. So That'll give you uh, enough of a judgment right there on your own, depending on your your opinion of Alex Jones. Yeah, that's probably going to either make or break them in people's views, unless they've just For never sure. heard of Alex Jones. Uh, a lot of what the the guy said was like, absolutely, I agree with it. Problem is, the dude was a jerk and rude with some of the people in the audience and. Yeah whenever people act like that, it made me not want to agree with him, even though like 98% of what he said, I'm on board with. Sure. Uh, which is, you know, maybe what we should have talked about for the uh, Bible portion of this conversation as well. But speaking the oh, truth, yeah, that, that would have made sense. Well, I wasn't even planning on talking about this guy, but you brought him up. So here we yeah. are. But yeah, speaking the truth in love, uh, you cannot have the truth without love. If yeah. you're speaking the truth without love, it is a sin. The way I'm looking at that verse. So, yeah, anytime, anytime you are treating somebody the way that he was treating some of those people. Whenever Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, let me get there real quick, starts off by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And that's what that was. Like the, what the guy was saying was spot on, but he was being a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Yeah. And it was just empty noise. Yep. Which is unfortunate. It had the potential to be like a really fantastic class, but his personality and yeah. speaking style just really made it not it left a bad taste in your mouth even though the the material was good for sure so that's up to you to our listeners if they want to pursue that rabbit hole anymore or not but yeah it was very interesting but again don't know don't know well i i said something bad about the solar people so i'll go ahead and go back to saying uh 
I will say this, I went to both of their classes and they were very helpful. Uh, they're very good at helping you uh, if you want to start doing some small scale solar stuff, uh, that is the company to go to, Missouri Wind and Solar. Phenomenal people know more about it. They've forgotten more about it than most of us will ever know, but they're very big on making sure you know how to do it rather than, oh yeah, you also need to pay our people $8,500 to come install your system. You know, they're like, if, you, if you're going to do this, you need to know how to do it. So here's how to do it. I forgot to ask you the other day, the old guy I talked to in the tent, that was very nice. He went to the session about having an off-grid well. Yes. I think, were you in on that session? Yep. He said at the beginning, they went around and told everybody approximately how much it costs to take your well off-grid. Do you remember what that figure was? I Cause don't. It, it was expensive enough. It completely turned him off at the beginning of the class and he pretty much quit listening because it wasn't cost effective yeah. for him. I, I want to say it's like $4,500, $4,500 was in that area. Yeah. There was pros and cons and he laid out the pros and cons of it though. He was pretty upfront about that. So, yeah, I, I would at least, I'm not into solar or anything like that right now. But I would at least appreciate the guy being really upfront at the beginning about the cost awesome. being prohibitive yep. for some people. Yep. Instead of Did leading someone know? on the entire class and dropping that at the end. Yes. Yeah. He, you know, he wasn't trying to scam people again. He was just upfront and yeah. honest about it. Now, did you go to a, which foraging class did you go to? Uh, that was not the first day with Bo Brown. It was Rachel something, Rachel West. Um, most of what she was saying, I knew, I did not know that about Yarrow being, um, a styptic, but it was still interesting. Every year I, I get spunky feeling at a certain point in the late summer where I'm like, I should go forage a lot of sassafras leaves because we have sassafras trees around yep. the house all over the place. And I never do it. Like it's just not high enough on my list of things that I want to do, except whenever I'm all wound up about it one day. <laughs> it was very interesting. I hadn't really considered foraging like at all. And then yeah. I came to find you because my class had gotten done a whole lot earlier or I had just gotten to the point I was done with it. And so I came to find you and heard the back end of it. And I was like, man, there's actually some very interesting stuff that can be done here. Yeah. The problem I have found with foraging is inconsistency on the stuff that is really good. Like morels, like everybody loves morels for the most part. Oh, yeah. mushrooms. But like, I'm not good enough or I don't have enough honey holes where I can just go pick a bunch of them. And so it's inconsistent for me. And the stuff that I can consistently find is usually not worth messing with unless the Chinese invade and the grid goes down. <laughs> like we have henbit all over. Or sorry, it's not henbit. I get them mixed up purple dead nettle all over the backyard in the early spring everywhere. Our whole backyard is just purple and the chickens love it. 
and the rabbits love it, but it doesn't taste good. Yeah. Like I could eat it if I had to. It just does not taste good. So a bunch of the stuff I can find does not really taste good enough for me to ever mess with trying to dress up. One of the things I would say about that from the way she was making it sound, she has a bunch of stuff everywhere. Like yeah. jars of stuff that she's experimenting with and trying and good on her. I just wish I had that kind of space. We do have uh, sumac or shumac. I never remember how I'm supposed to say it. That's the dangers of reading stuff in books and not hearing it out loud. Um, we have quite a bit of that growing around the place. And I keep meaning to harvest the berries and try some of the homemade lemonade that you can make from that stuff. That's supposed to be one of the easier foraging things you can do. What's final thoughts on, uh, on the homesteading expo? Was it worth it? Yeah, it worth the time? It, it was, it was a good time. Uh, if you are a, a nerd that reads a lot, you're not going to just learn a whole bunch at the expo, but it is a good time and it's really nice to be surrounded by like-minded people and it's encouraging mm -hmm. and uplifting. Yeah, especially if you go, I would say one of the better parts for me personally was going and talking to the vendors and, you know, allowing them to try to sell their product, but their products are all really good. So, uh, the grain mill people and the connections I made through that, that was something I'm, we're definitely going to be working on pursuing here in the next year or so. So that was really good for me. Uh, it was just cool to see a lot of the ideas that people were doing a lot of the, yeah, cause there wasn't just classes. There was demonstrations going on. No. Uh, we didn't stop and watch the sawmill because you have a sawmill. <laughs> You're yeah. doing that every day. So what's the point of that? But if you're interested in seeing a sawmill run, uh, if you're interested in seeing blacksmithing done, uh, all of these different things, there are a lot of just demonstrations going on too as well. Yeah. So definitely, definitely worth the time. Definitely worth the money. Pick a few classes to go to, pick a few things to look at, uh, and don't go on Friday when it's 107 degrees outside. Yeah, one one thing they were missing is a taco truck. Oh, yeah. No, they had a Chinese truck, and I was not sure about China, <laughs> like, at all. You may want to bring your own lunch, because they, they, here's the sad thing, they doubled the amount of food trucks that they had from last year. But they should have had that amount last year. Yeah, because they, oh. they only had like six this year, right? And I think one of those was just drinks. Yep. And one of them was uh, like goat ice cream or something. Yep. So they, they, need to, they need to double or triple the amount of food trucks that are there, food vendors. That may be what Andrew and I do next year is open our own food booth for the weekend. So funny story. Do you ever read Louis L'Amour? No, but I know who he is. All right. So anybody that hasn't read Louis L'Amour, he's an old Western author. He wrote like a gajillion different books that more or less have the same good guy. 
by a different name in every one of them. He's always tall, super strong, shoots extremely well, you know, handsome and good with the ladies. Sounds and like us anyway. In a couple of them, he focuses on mining. And some of the people in the town always talk about the money, the consistent money in a mining town was never in the mines. Some mines hit it big. A lot of mines just barely got by. Everything was extremely expensive because it was being shipped into the mining town. The things that consistently made money in a mining town was timber. People would go in and log the hillsides and create the wood that would be used to make the supports and the wood to build the town, uh, the lumber to build the, build the buildings in the little mining town that got thrown up. And food, the restaurants, because the miners weren't cooks. They didn't have access to good food. And so if you had a restaurant that had access to chickens and eggs and bacon and stuff like that, the miners would pack in there and they would charge a really high rate because it was hard to get food out that far usually. But the restaurants and the lumber companies were what made money in the mining towns. And I've heard the same thing about craft fairs and stuff. The food is in the food trucks if you have a good one. Yeah, um, it's really funny you're saying that because over where we live in the Pittsburgh, Kansas area, um, there are five different chicken restaurants that all serve as a as somebody who's not native to the area, uh, and I may get kicked out of the town for this. They all serve basically the same thing, and they basically taste the same, but they are all... One of them, they're Chicken Annie's, Chicken Mary's, Bardo's. Uh, then there's a second Chicken Annie's. And then, actually, I want to say there's three Chicken Annie's. There's either three Chicken Annie's or two Mary's and two Annie's. Anyway, they all have their, like, roots in when this was a mining area. All of them are original restaurants started by these ladies, these wives of the miners that they had this competition. And then like the reason why there's two or three locations on some of them is because the kids took over, inherited the business and then split the business between them. So yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Cause that we, we don't have any mining over here anymore. There hasn't been any mining over here in like 75 years, but all of those chicken restaurants are still here. Huh? That's cool. That's cool history. That's the only thing your dad knows about the area was he's like, oh, yeah, you got chicken Annie's and chicken Mary. <laughs> <laughs> like, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, no, he somehow knew about that. So. For our biblical portion tonight, uh, we wanted to kind of talk about some of the spiritual benefits to homesteading. Now, you can you should add to this part especially but there is a little bit of a disclaimer here we are not saying that you should be a homesteader in order to be a good christian and especially we're not saying you should be a homesteader in order to go to heaven that's not the intention of it but i know and one of the things listening to the different podcasts that i listen to and listening to a lot of people at the homesteading thing there's a lot of spiritual benefits that can come from it and so that's kind of what we wanted to talk about tonight. Jesus came to this earth and was not a homesteader. 
So obviously you don't have to be one to be a Christian that is faithful, but there definitely are spiritual benefits that you can see from being one. So lead off, lead off with one. All right. So I've said this for a long time, but I'm going to try to dress it up with Bible passages to show that this is not just me thinking this. The closer you are to food production, I think the more you realize your reliance on God. Um, And really this goes all the way back to the, back to the roots of man being created Whenever Adam was created, Adam and Eve in the garden, he was a garden tender, not like a vegetable garden. It was more like a a park setting, I think. But still, he had a job of tending the plants, and that provided the necessary food for them to exist in the Garden of Eden. And then once he was kicked out at the tail end of uh, Genesis 3, he still was going out and growing his own food to be able to eat bread at the end of the day. And the more, like you were talking about, I think this is before we started recording, but you were talking about rain and how there hasn't been like a really good rain in a long time. We as a culture typically do not pray for rain, but the more I grow food around my place, the more I find myself praying to God for good weather that is conducive to helping me achieve a goal of producing something. And so the, the old adage of Paul that he used when he was talking to the Corinthians in chapter one of first Corinthians of Paul watered, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase is he was using that as a spiritual metaphor, but as a literal example of what we do, you know, just as far as gardening goes, I put the seed in the ground, I cover it up, I mulch it, I put water on it if God doesn't send enough rain. And ultimately it's still God that gives us the produce that comes from that because like seeds blow my mind. There's a A psalm from David, chasing a rabbit for just a second. There's a psalm that David has. I don't remember where it's at, but he says there are three things that are too wonderful, uh, too wonderful me, three things, yea, four, that I know not. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, and the way of a man with a maid. Like it was just stuff that David didn't completely understand you know if you ever watch a a serpent slither over a rock you don't understand how it works unless you see like a a science show that breaks down how their scales move to propel them over the rock i don't understand the timer that is in a seed a seed doesn't have a brain but like especially seeds that need stratification god has set a timer in there and a thermometer so they know whenever the temperature changes and there's the correct amount of sunlight and moisture and conditions are right. And they say, it is time to grow. I don't understand how God has done that in a seed to a degree where, I mean, it works incredibly consistently to grow food for billions of people over the course of human history. And it still works. And God designed it that way. And so it brings us closer to God. We realize his, our, our reliance on him and everything he provides for us from the very air that is around us to the water that falls from the heavens. 
And it also makes you realize how, how much God is doing as far as providentially sending rain, con continuing to shine light upon us, uh, just preparing the soil that is there for us to put our, our stuff into or, ru or run our animals on the grass that he set in place a long time ago. So that that's the main thing that I have um, benefited, the main way I've benefited from, from homesteading. So for me, this is one of the main points that I wanted to make too, was, you know, what's cool about it is, like you were saying, there is there comes a point where we just cannot do it ourselves. Uh, you can throw money at it. You can throw the most expensive machines in the world. Uh, right now, it, where we're at, it's harvest season. And right down the road, there's these million-dollar combines running around. And if you've ever seen the side of one of those opened, that, that blows my mind how complicated they are. Yeah. And the machine that they are. But the entire machine is designed around working with something that God either gives us or we don't have it. Yeah. It's all designed around harvesting corn or harvesting soybeans where it's all dependent on, you know, we can have all the combines we want. We can have all the fertilizers we want. We can have all the tractors we want, but ultimately God is the one who allows us to continue to use those. He's the one that gives us the, the base product to work with there. And yeah, I, I definitely, uh, the only, the only and obviously I think this comes into a big study on Providence and how exactly does that work and what does God give us or not give us. Or, you know, I think in a perfect world that God originally created, uh, you know, all of this would function perfectly, but because we, uh, God gave us the ability to invite sin into the world. I want to make sure I said that right. God gave us the ability to choose to invite sin into the world. You know, not all of that works perfectly anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I was looking, whenever I was looking at the tail end of Genesis three earlier and sure. God is telling Adam that it's not all going to be blue skies and rainbows at this point for producing food as a, a farmer or a gardener or whatever, yeah. he talks about there are going to be thorns. And every time I get stabbed in the hand by a blackberry briar or a multiflora rose, I take just a tiny second to thank Adam for yeah. <laughs> giving us thorns because they weren't originally there. Uh, well, one of my favorite things about homesteading, one of my favorite spiritual benefits of that is if you look at how many parables that Jesus teaches around farming in general, just these farming concepts that we should be more familiar with, but we aren't sometimes. But it really makes these parables come to life. Uh, I've heard three different sets of people who are shepherds talk about here recently how much they love raising sheep because they have a very clear under excuse me understanding that they didn't have before yeah. about what exactly it means when jesus says we are like sheep without a shepherd 
how many yeah. different parables, how many different times he uses that. You know, he talks about I am the shepherd in the book of John. He has the parable of the lost sheep and all these different things. And, and these people are saying, and I agree, uh, even though I've never raised sheep, I have chickens who are annoying to deal with too. But they, they just these animals, you know, they're headstrong and stubborn in their own way. But yet they're all constantly out there screaming at me to feed them. Yep. And you got to understand a little more, what are we putting God through? You know, we're headstrong and stubborn in our own ways and in our own sins. And yet we constantly are yelling at God to do this and do that for us. Yeah. Helps to helps to put your, your relationship with God in a better context. Whenever I learned grafting, not too long after that, I, uh, I taught the book of Romans. And whenever I got to chapter 11, I was like, whoa, I totally understand what he's talking about here now that I understand grafting. Uh, it, it I think you said it jumps off the page. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you have like hands-on experience in doing what they're using as a metaphor or a parable to, to try to teach you something, you, you really get it. It really jumps off the page whenever you've got that hands-on experience with it. And I've never, uh, I've never personally worked with mustard seed, but kind of basing off that parables and what you were saying about seeds earlier, just the huge variety of all these different seeds. You know, we're getting out in February every year is always exciting because we're thinking about buying seeds and setting up planters and all this other stuff and all the variety of seeds. Some of them are huge and some of them look like flakes of pepper uh some of them are long some of them are round they are all there and designed and again i think you know because sin is in the world not every seed works perfectly but they all generally do what they're designed to do and then the the parable where jesus talks about faith is a mustard seed yeah some of the some of the seeds that we grow I'm drawing a blank right now, of course, as to what some of the smaller seeds we deal with are, but just to watch them explode and grow into huge plants from nothing is amazing. Yeah, I grew, uh, I grew snapdragons this year and they were like tiny pin pinpoint, uh, fine, fine tip pin pinpoint seeds. I've, I've learned that I really hate seeds that are surface. So just press in They're they're light dependent on germination. I have trouble keeping them moist enough and it's annoying, but yeah, really small seeds, but they grow into nice plants. I'm in my back office recording uh, this podcast and I have our, our seed stash back here. So I'm getting some out to look at some of the smallest ones we deal with on a regular basis. I have a bag of strawberry seeds and they look like they are just, I shook some pepper, some ground up pepper out into this bag. Yeah. Mulberry seeds are really small too. So I've never had any grown any mustard seeds, but I've seen strawberry plants grow like crazy. And that's, that's impressive enough for me to understand what Jesus is demanding from us yep. in that passage or expecting from us might be a better word. Another one, another big benefit I would say of homesteading, and this is one that it's 
you know, somewhat dependent on how you, uh, how you do it and how much you do, but homesteading can also help you to develop Christian virtues, especially the values that God commands us to have of being hard workers. Uh, I can say, I know for sure in my life, and again, whether or not this is applicable to you and your family, that's up to you. But, uh, you know, and I, we still, you know, we haven't completely in our family, we haven't completely ignored video games. We still have video games and TV and stuff in there, but I find myself less and less going to those things, uh, and more and more wanting and desiring to get up and work and create something with my own two hands, uh, to develop that virtue that God is asking for us to be hard workers, uh, for us to have discipline and self-control and those kind of things. Yeah. It, um, it also, which your kids aren't quite as old as my kids, but my kids are old enough now at this point, I think it's very healthy to involve them in the things that you do yes. on the homestead. I mean, butchering, you kind of got to judge when they're old enough to help with that in whatever way. But like, I haven't harvested the vast majority of the stuff that came in from the garden this year. Uh, the kids have done it for me. I have to tell them, you know, they have to have some guidance on when to pick certain things. But like strawberries, I think I picked a, a half dozen. The kids picked the rest. Uh, blackberries, raspberries, all that stuff. The kids picked the vast majority of it. Squash, beans, everything. The, the kids have done almost all of it for me. And so it's very helpful to have something for people that have children to involve them in food production help them uh, participate in it and have some pride in helping achieve a, a goal. And whenever they eat food of an evening, they can say, I helped with that. Another benefit I would say kind of comes into our discussion from earlier. We are not good um, by ourselves. We are told in the book of Genesis that it was not good for man to be alone with animals. Uh, and obviously in context, he's talking about uh, for man to have a helper, to have a wife. And I think homesteading for us has kind of provided that goal in our marriage outside of just we're going to raise kids, you know, and have fun together. Uh, it's kind of provided a goal for us to work towards together. But it's also like we were talking about earlier, understanding exactly how much you need other people to. Instead yeah. of, you know, us wanting to go off and be lone wolf, we kind of learn how to work together and have to learn how to work together, which is a very important skill to have. If you want to be part of a vibrant, growing congregation of the Lord's people, you have to learn to work with people. Yeah, for sure. So there, so homesteading provides moments of solitude to help you commune with the Lord better. And it provides moments of you got to learn to work together with other people to get things done. Yeah. Traditionally people that were homesteaders and even farmers, but more so I think on the homesteader scale early on, um, there was a sense of community to go off of what you were talking about. There was a sense of community that was very much uh, intertwined with every family in the community. Whenever they went to raise a barn, the whole community would show up and they would just try to feed them to the, the best they could. And they would provide 
labor and get done in a day or two days, what would take the man by himself close to a month to do? And if somebody ever got sick or ill, people would drop in and check in on them. If somebody broke their leg whenever it was time to plow, uh, the neighbors would come over and help plow their fields. Um, So there was very much a sense of community that you were a part of just out of necessity in part, but also because it was healthy for them to do that. Any other thoughts you can think of on this subject? This isn't necessarily spiritual per se, but it is very helpful as far as just regular old everyday life goes. Homesteading keeps you moving. And I don't think we phrased it quite that way yet, but homestead homesteading gives you a reason to be active every single day, which has a lot of just health benefits, but also that carries over into being active in other ways in your life as well. Like no matter what we do every single day, whether you're sick, whether it's raining, whether it's snowing, whether it's 110 degrees, the chickens need some food. And so you got to get up, you got to go out and you got to do something to help take care of your animals. Your garden needs picked or weeded or whatever. Um, There are things that force us into action. There's an old dairy farmer over here in Highlandville that I don't know how old he is. He's in his eighties and he's still milking cows every single day. And everybody we ever talk to about that guy, everybody agrees. Whenever he stops milking cows, he's going to die. Like the cows are the only thing keeping him going at this point is milking cows every single day. It's why he gets up in the morning. It's why he goes to bed at night expecting to get up and milk more cows. And so homesteading gives us a sense of purpose that gets us up every single day motivates us to action and we if we're if we have the proper mindset we should parallel that over into action and a a sense of movement spiritually as well yes because uh both the highlandville congregation where you're at and the pittsburgh congregation where i'm at recently have been doing a study on the seven churches of asia and it's very interesting how um the church at laodicea the last one is commended for being or is condemned, not commended, condemned for being lukewarm. Yep. Which I find this interesting and this may be, I may be reading too much into it, but molecularly that is a state in which the molecules are just kind of there. They're not frozen and providing any sort of benefit in that direction, and they're not heated up and providing any sort of benefit in that direction. You know, they're just in the middle. When we were talking about it, you know, uh, you either want hot food or you want cold food. Yeah. Room temperature is usually far less than ideal. Yes. Lukewarm is the, lukewarm is you failed in one direction or another. And that's what they're being condemned for is the fact that they are lukewarm in their faith. And so kind of those, and I think this would go back to what I was trying to say earlier about the discipline that you can learn, you know, applying that the Christian values that you're learning from homesteading can help translate over into your work with the church and help you make sure that you are not part of the problem. If a congregation is stagnating. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching this a little bit too far, but 
in that passage talking about Laodicea, I find it really interesting that it says, um, you say, I am rich, I have prospered. And then this line, I think, is really interesting, considering what we were talking about earlier. And I need nothing. They were saying, I don't need anything. And by extension, they're really saying, I don't need God in the way that people that work for their food all the time realize that they are entirely reliant upon God just to exist here on this earth and to feed themselves every day. So I find that really interesting that we ended up there and that's what they said. I need nothing when a homesteader that is a Christian absolutely understands I have to have God or I will not continue to exist. A homesteader who I will add is trying to be in many ways self-sufficient. Yeah. And this, again, maybe we should just save this for a whole nother podcast, but self-sufficiency is not something you can attain truly, but we are trying to break ourselves from the system and learn to provide value in our own lives and understanding that we're only going to be able to do that with the help of God. Yeah. We, we were worthless and he made us worth something. Our yeah. sins had made us worthless and we are now worth something because we've been, we've been bought and we've been paid for by the blood of Christ. And so all of our lives should be dedicated to the idea of, well, we can't pay, we can't pay God back for what he's done for us, but we need to be creating value. Yeah. You know, because he's, he's investing in us. If we go back to the parables again, uh, parable of the talents, I want to say Matthew 26 or 27, uh, the parable of the talents. Because I've heard, I've heard a million different applications of that parable. Uh, when Jesus is saying talents, he's saying talent is a unit of money. Yeah. But I've heard people talk about talents as in abilities that he's given us. I've heard people talk about the money aspect. I've heard people talk about the time, all these other things. God has invested in us and we need to be trying to bring about a return on investment, not as in we can pay him back, but as in we are trying to honor the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Yeah. Yeah, the ESV has the word entrusted. He entrusted to them his property. And so that's what he's done with us with ability, time, money, everything that we are and have. He's entrusted it to us. And so we're going to be stewards one way or another, either a good steward or a bad steward of that. And kind of bringing this back into one more thing. Another thing that homesteading, homesteaders are big about is regenerative agriculture where we're working on developing the land which i think really ties into the idea of us being stewards of it yeah a lot of homesteaders are you know they're not just like what can i get out of the land what am i getting from the land what am i getting 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 they are let's invest in what god has given us and it's really cool and this is one of the things that i do like about joel salatin but i like about a lot of these other people is you know they take land that other people think is worthless but they understand this is the land that god's given us and i need to be a good steward of it instead of trying to just rip out whatever i want for myself they work and invest in it 
and they work on, you know, making sure that the, the pastures are set up correctly and the rotations are set up correctly and the animals are being able to be cared for and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the animals are having a good quality of life and all these other things, and they're being good stewards of what God has given them. Yeah. And just as concerned about leaving a generational impact or more concerned about leaving a generational impact than a lot of other people sometimes are. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's definitely helped me in my spiritual walk. Yeah. Well, one thing else I could add, we've kind of already talked about this, but this is a little bit different causation for realizing this. I pay a lot more attention to the seasons than I ever did before. Like I work outside and you work outside too now, but um, like I pay attention. This is when the garden is going to die. Whenever my last frost date is, this is whenever the, the trees are going to go dormant. And then in the spring is where you really see it. Um, you see everything come back to life mm-hmm. and you see the, the power of the, the systems God has put in place in the universe and the world mm-hmm. to continue to fulfill his promise that he made all the way back in Noah's day of the seasons continuing normally. And it just, it takes my breath away every time I see the trees start to green up again. It does mine too, because that's when the pollen comes out and I start getting allergies (laughs) real bad. That's when it starts to take my breath away. I didn't realize I teed that up for you so well there. Yeah, you did. And I appreciate it. Uh, but I do agree with you. Um, one thing that I've found kind of interesting and one of the things I've really been pitching to a lot of people is uh, one of the things that people struggle with in our day and culture is seasonal depression. Have you heard of this? Uh, I've heard of it more so up in like Alaska where they have yes. like 23 and a half hours of darkness in the dead of winter. Yes. But not just Alaska, but people all over the world are seasoning are getting seasonal depression. Basically it's mostly in winter. They're tying it to a lack of, uh, is it vitamin D that you get from the sun? Yeah, it's vitamin D. That's what they're tying it to a lack of. So people are actually taking supplements and I'm saying people because I'm one of them. But one of the things that has helped me with that is, the different seasons providing different things. Yeah. And I'm I'm not just one to dog on uh, office workers, but you know, if you're an office worker and you work a nine to five every day, uh, what are you doing all spring? (laughs) You're working a nine to five. What are you doing all summer? You're working the same nine to five. What are you doing all fall? Working the same nine to five. What are you doing all winter? Working the same nine to five with less sunlight. And so a lot of this is just, you know, people get stuck in these ruts and they don't understand that God has designed these different seasons as opportunities for different times to do different things. You know, everybody's like, you know, they take advantage of spring break or whatever. They take a summer vacation, but it goes beyond that. Just the different work that is in the different seasons, you know, spring and summer, you're planting and harvesting fall. You're doing some harvesting too, and you're cutting wood for the fireplace and you're making winter preparations and winter. You're, you know, you're using what you've laid by in store 
uh, in the spring, you're starting the process all over again where you're planning for the future. And it just provides different things to work on, different mental mental challenges, not in a bad way, but in a good way, different mental challenges that help you, give you something to look forward to. Instead of just the same old thing. I was, I was talking to one of the kids the other day. Winter is actually one of my most productive homestead seasons. And that seems so backwards because the garden isn't growing. The trees are dormant. You know, the animals are not as happy as they are in the spring or the fall. But because there is none of the other stuff happening, that's when I get the most improvements to infrastructure, you know, garden beds, trellises, clearing out trees for better, better light, uh, light exposure to certain areas. That's when that stuff gets done is in winter. And so a lot of the like really dramatic changes happen during the winter whenever things should you would think be the least productive well it's a different different season with different times to work on different things yeah well makes you appreciate the little ways that god helps you to appreciate the little ways that god has created the earth so yeah for sure all right we will leave it for there uh for tonight appreciate everybody tuning in andrew thank you again Thank you. All right. We will, uh, we will see you all later. You have been listening to the five acre parables podcast. 